millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Peter Hart and with me is the wonder that is Gary Bain. Hi, Gary. Hi, Pete. And uh, today we're doing uh, another uh, based on our book, Laugh or Cry. Uh, and this one's called The Men All Loved Me. <laughs> Wonder what this is about, Gary. Buggery. No, Gary. Remember, Matt doesn't oh, like no, no, you no. mentioning oh. that. Oh, especially not in the first minute. <laughs> no, that was what he particularly didn't like. No, no. Uh, what is it? This is uh, this is about what, Gary? Explain well, it for me. It's about the relationship between the various ranks of the army. Oh, it is about buggery, <laughs> and it's long been a matter of considerable interest. Well worthy of tedious academic thesis by various strange people who seem to know a. Uh, a compelling mixture of everything and nothing. Who are you talking about here, Gary? <laughs> these, oh. these are harsh words you've just said. I think I might mean us. Oh, right. Uh, so, 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 uh, what, what are we doing today? Well, we're, we're, today we're going to examine the status of young officers. And uh, here's one quote to set the scene. And you're going to tell us what Second Lieutenant Harold Mellish of the Third East Lancashire Regiment says. Fine body of men. The men treated an officer in two ways, either generously and genuinely as their leader, or else, <laughs> equally generously, <laughs> as a sort of precious and slightly incomprehensible child to be taken care of. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> yes. Now, the most fascinating contrast exists between the perception the average officer has of his role and what his men think of him. And uh, the very different state of reality from the other side of the pips. And you're going to be Major Claude Weston and, and New Zealander, I, I presume, 2nd Wellington Battalion. Come on then, give us your best New Zealand accent. If you just do an Australian accent, that'll annoy all the Australians and all the New Zealanders. I think you'll find he'd uh, emigrated. Um, it is said the French general addresses his battalion as his children. A company commander thinks of them as such. And really, men in a body under control have much of the helplessness of infants. Of a necessity, they cannot do many things for themselves. They cannot provide their own food or clothing, make or arrange for shelter or baths, attempt to remedy troubles, and in a 101 ways are dependent on the care and solicitude of their officers. Their very happiness is often in their superior's keeping. 
Now, you were in the army, and wouldn't you say that there's somebody slightly more influential between the officers and the other ranks? Oh, yeah, the, the sergeant. I'd, I'd, have, I'd have done whatever the sergeant told me immediately. Yeah, the officers, you probably would have done it. The officers, I'd probably nibbled their ears. No, but that—that's that, well. This is what we're saying: that the perception that officers have is not often the reality from the other side of the pips. Um, no. Now the next one oh, is, God, is one this. splendidly pugnacious officer who was hard on his men, but was still sure that they um, had his back. I think they'd have his back with a bayonet. <laughs> and this is Major Gerald Burgoyne of the Second. Royal Irish Rifles. I've forgotten the name of the book, but it is he has a great book out, uh, which uh, you should have a look at. This morning, I saw a fatigue party marching off. The men all over the place, no discipline, and the corporal in charge, useless. I called out to them, but one man took so notice, so I ran out and gave him two under the jaw. They pulled themselves together then and marched off something more like soldiers. On parade this morning, I saw another man scrim-shanking. I'd seen the company parading, but was, hey, I'm just having a drop a tea-hutted. <laughs> I lifted him a couple of the best and kicked him till he ran. <laughs> and then I spoke a few well-chosen words to the men, told them that if they did not play the game to me, I'd lead them a dog's life, and if they played up well, I'd look after them well. I'm sure my little show of firmness had its effect. All men, like an officer who who compels obedience, and it's no use punishing a man on active service as one does in peacetime. The only thing is to hit him at once and hard. And if the men see their officer takes a real personal interest in them, sorry, as I think I do, or at least try to do, well, these Irishmen of mine will follow me, I am sure. It's a sort of discipline they're used to in civil life, and which they understand. Any appeal to their better feelings they regard as weakness. On the whole, I like all of my men, and I think they like me. Again, I'm calling on you, Gary. Would you like this officer? Oh, I'd love him. <laughs> he reminds me of the officer that you encountered just outside well, the We're not going there. We're not going there. <laughs> what did that officer do to you? Now, most officers, changing the subject swiftly, grew fond of their men although few had much pretense of understanding them. Many treasured certain uh, caricature-type individuals they encountered. And you're going to be no Lieutenant Norman Down. It was a bit of a miserable bugger, actually, but I like him. Fourth Gordon Highlanders. Aye. A typical Tommy of the Arthur Moe Kaiser type. I never found out his name, but his friends, friends called him Woodbine. And the company sergeant major referred to him as that nuisance. He was a weedy-looking youth and had been out since Mons. A lock of raven hair struggled out from his cap comforter, on the top of which his cap perched at an angle of 45 degrees to the vertical, peak over the left ear. His eyes were small but twinkled, and his mouth was simply great. In fact, when he grinned, it stretched from ear to ear. He was always singing, you could tell it was singing by the words. <laughs> Sounds like us going. Early one morning, just as the German trenches were becoming visible, he was found sitting on the parapet, chanting gloomily to the tune of Little Brown Jug. And we're going to do this together, Pete. We will, ready? Yeah. Ha, 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 he, 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 old fat Fritz, you can't see me. But apparently he was wrong. For with a splutter of earth, a bullet plonked into a sandbag, not a foot from him. Undismayed, undismayed, 
even. He changed his dirge to... Ha, 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 he, 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 poor old Hans, they can't hit me. <laughs> and continued until he was dragged down by his sergeant amidst a storm of bullets. Such men are a curse back in billets, but a heaven-sent blessing in the trenches. <laughs> oh, dear. Now, um, a lot of the officers admire the sort of phlegmat- phlegmatic... Phlegmatic? Phlegmatic? I think phlegmatic. that's something you cough up, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Phlegmatic approach of the men. Um, uh, and uh, as most Tommies would say, and you, Gary, uh, the, the men uh, endlessly never, they, they never, ever, 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 ever complained that they observed. Often. And uh, who am I going to be? You're going to tell us what Captain Charles Potter of the 2nd 6th Lancashire Fusiliers, so generic Northern, says. Hey. Sergeant Ingham of B Company was typical of Lancashire. He was somewhat diminutive of stature, but full of vigour, stout of heart, and of unfailing. Northerners can't speak properly. Unfailing cheerfulness and good humour. One miserable night, when it was as black as pitch and raining in torrents, we two were groping around along a disused trench up to our knees in water. We were seemingly the sole representatives of our side in an evil world, with Fritz lobbing over minis, that's Minnenwerfer's mortar shells, apparently for the purpose of our destruction. <laughs> All at once there was a terrific burst of firing in the distance from the British guns, which up to then had been silent. Ingham slipped off a broken duck board and <laughs> appeared above the surface of the water, clinging to the board as, as if to a piece of wreckage. His face, lit by the numerous rockets and flares sent up by the enemy, was a picture. As the writer, that's me, Potter, helped him out, he said, We're all right now, sir. The bloody British fleet is coming up to help us. And again, it's just a great, great, I love these quotes. Now, looking the other way from uh, other rank to officer, there was an underlying formal tinge to the association. <laughs> formal tinge, eh? <laughs> oh, dear. There was a great emphasis on the proper channels and the appropriate formalised methods of address. Yeah, so perhaps the men didn't love them that much. And you're going to be Private Reginald Johnson, 1st, 4th Norfolk Regiment. I remember interviewing him in Eli. Ely? Oh, God, why did I say that? E-L-Y. Ely. Ely. He says, uh, Norfolk, there was a great insistence on the proper way to address an officer. If you are standing in the ranks and you were addressed by the officer, you must be careful to say, sir, after every ejaculation. Hang on. <laughs> oh, sorry. You never start a conversation with an officer. If he speaks to you, you answer him. Once when the officer asked me a question, I answered and I didn't say, sir. This sergeant major shouted, say, sir. So I had to say, sir, that satisfied him, I suppose. That was a great accent, Gary. I'm sure all the listeners will be writing their reviews and saying, I wish they'd stop accents. <laughs> right. Uh, now, it's, the men, actually, officers and men could converse relatively normally when, when there's no one else around. Especially if they knew each other. And uh, I'm going to be... This is a lovely quote from... Uh, you, you remember you picked this one, I remember, for the book. Major David Rory, 1st, 2nd Highland Field Ambulance, Royal Army Medical Corps. Fine never book. heard of him. Never heard of him. That's the spirit, Gary. <laughs> and he said this. It was, it was always a tricky old valley. Going round the posts one day with our only Hibernian. <laughs> Scots. 
Uh, things were quiet. The day was fine, and we strolled along the towpath of the canal, engaged in cheerful and improving discourse worthy of the complete angler. It's spelt complete. I checked, and it is actually spelt that way. It's quite a famous book, I understand. It is? I haven't read it. Suddenly, old Fritz let go at the landscape. (laughs) One shell landing in the muddy swamp, which had once been the opposite bank of the canal. I hastily embraced a large poplar tree on the side away from the enemy, while showers of mud descended everywhere. And then I discovered that I could see no sign of my companion. Where are you? I sang out. Where you'd be yourself, sir, if you'd any sense at all, came the reply. <laughs> it's not Hibernian. Clearly, it's generic north. Came the reply from nowhere I could see. Much struck by the respectful and practical nature of this reply, I at last detected the top of his tin hat in a neighbouring shell hole and promptly joined him there. Jerry giving us a quite unsolicited encore and my colleague a spasmodic lecture to me on the advantages under such circumstances of shell holes over poplar trees and he was quite right too he knew his natural history well and again the sense of humor ah wonderful (sighs) now sarcasm which we know a little about uh, was a potent weapon in the hands of an experienced NCO (laughs) (laughs) sorry now, for them, the verbal ticks that marked formal deference were just a veneer beneath which bubbled all sorts of disrespect. Now, the next, the next quote is just one of my all-time favourites. And, and listeners, you just listen to Gary as he gives us a, a, a generic northern accent for Lieutenant John Hills of the 5th Leicestershire Regiment. Midlands. Yeah, Midlands accent. Well, do, do your south knots as are. That's my duck. The ground was covered with shell holes. Some of them of great size. Once Major Griffiths, going out with Grogan, his runner, suddenly disappeared from view in an enormous hole, which had apparently amalgamated itself with some well or sewer. The Major was almost drowned, but came to the surface in time to hear Grogan say, You haven't fallen in, have you, sir? He was fished out and scraped down. Now you might say... What's sarcastic about that? But that's just wonderful. Obviously, you've bloody fallen in. You haven't fallen in, have you, sir? I mean, that's just gross disrespect. Fantastic. Now, the more intelligent officers were aware of what lay beneath such formalised interactions. They knew that a subaltern was, in essence, an officer under training. That's true. And true as today as it was then. And that allowed, uh, and that they were allowed to think that they were in charge. I think that's very true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with the real authority provided by the platoon sergeant. Well, I'm going to be Second Lieutenant uh, Eric Bird, 144 Machine Gun Company. And he said this All they expected of me was to lead them, put them in the right places, and tell them what to fire at. They did the rest. He means the NCOs, the senior NCOs. I used to call them my pirate crew. My sergeant. Bolt was an ex-professional boxer and a good leader of men. Once, when digging in all night against time, I came up unnoticed in the dark and heard a newly joined recruit complaining about the officer, me, <laughs> who was driving them to this heartbreaking labour. The recruit threw down his shovel and swore, get on with your digging or I shall report you to the officer, said Sergeant Bolt. Fuck the fucking officer. <laughs> Pick up that bloody shovel or I'll knock your block off. That's Sergeant Bolt saying that. Oh, the recruit picked it up. 
Me, he did not fear. But Bolt's fist was another matter. Fabulous. And that that's that's perfectly true of any second lieutenant uh, in the British Army, uh, I would say. Now, a good subaltern would form a rock-solid relationship with his platoon sergeant. At times, an NCO may have been a figure of fun to the dilettante officer, but at least they generally knew what they were doing. Unlike the officer. And this is Second Lieutenant Frank Warren. Again, a, a brilliant memoir he wrote. Uh, look up Frank Warren, 17th King's Royal Rifle Corps. And he said this. Some sayings by Sergeant Dyke. I love ferrets. I love a ferret better than a wife. I never sneaks anything except from where it can be spared. I am like Robin Hood. And if he'd been alive today, I should have mucked in with him. <laughs> yes. Um, um, it, 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 if you're a, a young officer, you bet. You, do you think you should try your best to get on with the men, or, 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 or what do you think? No, you shouldn't try too hard. And uh, Guy Chapman, see, oh, passionate prodigality, he seems to have got it just about right. At least judging from the conversation he overheard, as some men were discussing the relative merits of various officers. However. At least in retrospect, some of them probably would have been mortified by his patronising attempt to mimic their accents in his uh, popular post-war um, memoir. Uh, uh, pop <laughs> kettle black. Mm. Now this is Captain Guy <laughs> I think, Chapman. I think we may, I think we may have fallen foul of this ourselves. Uh, no, there is a reason that I've chosen you for this. This is Captain Guy Chapman of the Thirteenth Royal Fusiliers. Off you go, Pete. He's not a bad little chap," said a voice. Little all right, replied my own Batman, Johns. Why, he don't even come even as high as my titch, even. I mutely thanked him for the comparison. The voice of the mess cook took up the discourse. That there young nappet, you know, he's too regimental, making us all come up for the rum every night. Now, young, now young Brenchley, he knows how to treat us. The other night when the sergeant wants us all one by one, he says, All right, sons, I can trust the servants. See, trust us, he does. Remember when we was on the Menning Road? Old Nobby and me was lying in a shallow. He comes over the top. How you getting on? He says, Would you like a drop of rum? Would we like a drop of rum? <laughs> and he brings it over himself. Ah, oh, he's my ideal officer, he is. Well, yeah. Mm. Now, at this point, listeners, we'll take a short break. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now, Napoleon is reputed to have regarded luck as the most prized asset amongst his generals. Now, in this, he was certainly followed by the average British soldier, who soon noticed if their officer was lucky or not. Uh, some, apparently, took it too far. And this is what Captain Sidney Firth of the 26 Royal Fusiliers had to say. I was sitting in a hole in the ground in the front line. Things were very quiet and I suddenly found my servant sitting in a little hole in the ground just nearby. I said, Hello, what are you doing here? Why don't you get under cover and get a bit of rest? Well, sir, he said, you never seem to get hit, and the nearer I am to you, the more likely I am not to get hit either. So if you don't mind, I'd like to stay out here with you. He was wounded while I was away on leave. <laughs> I, I just love that quote. Uh, now, um, Something you may be noticing, the upper and middle class officers, and that is a lot of them, although if you're talking 17, 18, increasingly less, they, they find the men's accents a subject of great amusement. And it is a bit snobbish, but it is funny as well. Um, but to them, it marks out, I suppose, their mental and educational superiority, uh, that, that they were different. And the next quote is from a good old Lieutenant Norman, Norman Down. Uh, but this time, uh, he, he moves about a bit. He's not with the 4th Gordons now. He's with the uh, Headquarters 8th Brigade. Um, and, and this is a wonderful quote, which you've chosen for yourself to say. I, I'm interested to hear your accents on this one. I heard two men arguing outside. Said the first, so I froze it into the destructionerator. You don't know what you're talking about, broke in the other. What you mean is the inspectorator. They kept at it until my servant came in with my boots. So I asked him what all the trouble was about. Nothing at all, it seemed, except that they were both trying to say insinuator. Insinuator? I asked in amazement. What's that? Don't you know, sir? The thing they burn the rubbish in. <laughs> oh, dear. Now, some officers <laughs> were staggeringly... What did they mean, Gary? They meant the incinerator. Now, some officers were staggeringly inconsiderate. Oh, God. Often without meaning any overt malice. They're just thoughtless bastards. <laughs> yes, their own comfort often seemed a priority with little consideration for the situation of men who might have to risk their lives to satisfy a casually expressed whim. Would you risk your life for a casually expressed whim of mine? Oh, absolutely. And often do. Now, this is... Second Lieutenant Reginald Russell of the 11th Queen's Own Royal West Kent Regiment. That's the Lewisham Battalion. Now is the time for the Colonel to light up that well-seasoned pipe of his, which never seemed to burn without frequent resort to the matchbox. 
safely ensconced in front of the Damstrasse in the battered pillbox, which now served as battalion headquarters. The colonel produced matches and pouch and felt for his pipe. A fervent ejaculation, they're always ejaculating these people, a fervent ejaculation announced that it was missing. Signaller, he shouted. Sir, replied the signaller from the scant cover where he and the runners were crouching low to allow the machine gun bullets to pass on instead of through. Lovely phrase. I've lost my pipe. I think I left it in the shell hole where Captain Fraser had his company headquarters earlier this morning. You know the spot? No, sir, but I'll try and find it. What a hope to discover one shell hole in a wide area, absolutely pitted with them. However, off went our little signaller, not giving a thought to the fact that for so small a thing as a pipe, he was running a considerable risk of making a widow of that young wife of his. It was a case of dodging from one shell hole to another, for the Bosch was still sniping from the left. Time after time he found it necessary to lie doggo as the bullet skimmed the edge of the shell hole or went with a thud into the earth nearby. For five hours this sort of thing went on, and still there was no trace of the particular spot where the erring pipe was supposed to be. At last he picked up enough courage to go back to the colonel and report his failure. While he was delivering this carefully worded sentence designed to soften the blow to the CO and to alleviate the wrath which might possibly fall upon himself, he was interrupted with, Oh, it's all right, signaller. You needn't have worried. I found that I was lying on it. (laughs) Now, that story, of course, we laugh, but of course the signaller could have been killed. I mean, it was probably evens on. What a bastard of an officer. Then again, some officers achieved a level of vicious stupidity that seemed to sum up a trade unionist or socialist perception of their class. Oh, yeah. You're a liberal. Politics with Pete and Gary. You're a liberal, aren't you? Uh, very liberal. At times, it could earn them a dangerous degree of hatred from the men that served under them. And this is Private Norman Cliff of, Cliff of the 1st Grenadier Guards. Our number three company was under the command of Viscount Lassell, tall and slim, with sandy hair and moustache and a fresh complexion. He was extremely elegant, even in battle attire. His breeches were of a subtle pastel shade. His sand brown and high boots were superbly polished and he brought an atmosphere of Mayfair into the grimy trenches. His most pronounced characteristic was a distinct lisp, which the lads inevitably mimicked. When we assembled on parade, he would command, Call the world, parade, stand at ease. Patrolling the front line one day, Attended as usual by Sergeant Langley, he pointed to a sagging parapet and complained, Sergeant, this is monstrous. That is more like a jellyfish than a sandbag. On a tour of inspection one morning, the Viscount wisely kept his head well below the level of the parapet. Dawn came up slightly earlier than usual and he noticed that a sentry, whose duty it was to keep watch over the top at night, had lowered his head. Sergeant! That man should be looking over the top, he exclaimed. The boy heard and obeyed. A shot rang out and he fell dead. Sergeant, put another man on there, ordered the captain and passed on. Now, uh, the two things I noticed from that, uh, Private Norman Cliff is a trenchant observer, as you would say, Gary, if you knew what trenchant meant. And observer. (laughs) And he, 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 you know... but I, I, well, there's two things I know. It's what's one thing you, that you notice about it? His lisp. 
Yeah, the lower ranks, they could satirise their uh, superiors as much. So when we pointed out that they take the piss out of Cockney and Northern accents, as do we, of course, uh, they, they, they take the piss out of upper-class accents as well. Um, they consider it ludicrously affected, and so do I, as it happens. Uh, who is this Major George Lascar? Well, he was later to marry Princess Mary, and he, he therefore became the son-in-law to George V. Uh, now, is he a... And do we know anything else about him? Because is he a good soldier? Is he a bad soldier? Well, he was wounded three times in action during a couple of years at the front. And as such, he was clearly a brave officer, particularly as some of his <laughs> worst enemies lay behind him rather in the, than in the German trenches. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, if that story is true, and I see no reason to doubt Cliff, then he clearly is a, an absolutely thoughtless bastard. Uh, uh, but... but uh, You've got to take, you've just got to take it as, as you see it. You've got to make your own minds of what you think of George Lascaux. Um, what about the officers' mess? Is that uh, is that a uniform environment throughout throughout the war? Does no, it, no, no. It was in itself a changing environment as the war progressed. Why? Well, it was less packed with the sons of senior officers, the wealthy middle classes, or aristocrats. Why? Why is it less packed with them? Well, it, it took on. Are they killed? <laughs> yes. And it takes on a, a rather more egalitarian nature as the educated lower middle classes and battle-experienced veteran NCOs were, of necessity, given commissions to fill the thinning ranks of officers. Yeah, uh, casualty rates mean that uh, the, the senior ranks, uh, relatively senior ranks, get younger and younger. And 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 the, if you're really exceptional, uh, who am I thinking of? Think of somebody I'm always banging on about. Uh, Roland Bradford. Yeah, Uh and he he made he was lieutenant colonel. He actually made brigadier at the age of twenty five. So promotion is rapid, and 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 but there are opportunities. War is good for your career if you're an officer, unless you're killed. Um, and so that he, means that the pre-war conceptions of what a major looked like, i.e., essentially middle-aged and crusty, they're no longer an accurate indicator of an, an officer's rank. Uh, yeah, but uh, but. Still, when a new officer, a young second lieutenant, joins uh, joins the regiment, they're still a pretty terrifying. You know, they, they'd be they, they'd be a they had to be introduced to the colonel, and a lot of the colonels were still relatively old, but they also trying to make a big impact. And who am I going to be? You're going to be second lieutenant Reginald Russell once Him more again of the Eleventh Queen's Own Royal West Kent Regiment. You'll remember that's the Lewisham Battalion. Oh, I had forgotten that. And this is what he says. Most of his officers will remember the first time they reported for duty. Those keen eyes gleaming forth beneath those beetling brows seemed to look right through into one's mind. One felt that the CO had summed up one's character and abilities within a few seconds. Well, I've three kinds of officers in my battalion. There's the one who does his best, and it's damn good best. There's one who does his best, although it's not very good. And the third kind is the fellow who's not much good to me or anybody else. And I don't have anybody here long in that class. Now, don't forget, that's the class you start in. What a reception. <laughs> if you don't prove yourself better than you are now, you'll be out. Mind you, if I was a cowardly type, I'd quite like to be out, but there you go. Well, it depends what out meant. <laughs> now, however, a young officer's uh, contemporary subalterns could be equally judgmental. Well, uh, here, the, you're going to be normal. I'm glad this is, because this is a really unpleasant quote, and it, of course it suits your personality, and you're going to be Norman down. And he, he wants some sort of a posthumous award for, for <laughs> 
Factor assassination. You know, some helpless young second lieutenant arrives uh, and he has to share a dugout with Norman Down. How does Norman Down react to this uh, young subaltern? And he's now back with the false Gordon Highlanders. Well, he, he yeah. Yes. It, no, it just depends when he is. Yes. We've had a new subaltern posted to the company and to me has fallen the honour of instructing him in trench warfare. It was a pleasant addition to a dugout, I can tell you. His mouth is large and admirably, admirably suited to the method of mastication favoured by him. Mastication, you said? Chewing. His hair is of a nondescript shade, best describable as dirty sandbag, and his eyes are small and pig-like. When he walks, his hands flop about like washing in the wind, except that washing is generally clean. His conversation centres round the abnormal percentage of casualties among officers, and every sentence is rounded off with an, eh? Only to be equaled by the bleat of an epileptic lamb. That's, I mean, I, there's definitely parts of that that I recognise myself. The flapping hands, <laughs> the small pig-like eyes. <sighs> now, snobbish, snobbishness, even, was never too far away, even later in the war. Uh, the august personage of Charles Dudley Ward was discussing a dangerous future operation with an officer who did not meet his criteria for social acceptability. And you're going to tell us what Captain Charles Dudley Ward of the First Welsh Guards said. Bronco was very serious, not a smile on his face. But the- <laughs> At the same time, he was suffering, as he does most days, from most violent indigestion. And so he made strange noises from both ends of himself. He sounds a bit like you, Gary. And once stopped to piss in an open field. But he never ceased talking. And when you consider they had probably never been more earnest, you realise on what a slender foundation good behaviour, as understood in a drawing room, is built on. Yes. Knob. Well, I think burping and farting are not apparently socially acceptable, so... They are now. (laughs) They are now, yes. Toot. Now, to cheer you all up, here's a favourite story of the interaction of officers presented in all its glory by Lieutenant Norman Dillon of the 14th Northumberland Fusiliers. I remember going to interview him just in a village just outside Durham. Uh, He was a magnificent bloke. He says this. It was a dry night, no rain, in the early morning when we all gathered shivering round a small fire, trying to get a cup of tea. Jones, the second in command of the company, arrived and said, My word, it was cold last night. It affected my bladder. (laughs) It was too cold to stand up, so I just turned over and let fly where I was. We thought nothing of this until the company commander came in and said, It must have been wet last night. I was lying next to Jones. And I woke up and my trousers were completely soaked. We all said, but there's been no rain. He didn't realise what had happened. It's <laughs> just a magnificent story, isn't it? It is. Now, amusing incidents in the officer's dugout were treasured, especially when uh, no one was hurt. And this is once more Lieutenant Norman Down, who gets about a bit. Yes, he's uh, back with the fourth. Well, he's not back with, but it's, it's before he went to the hub. <laughs> you yeah. see what I've done there? I've you see, you've confused to, yeah. me, haven't you? This is what Norman Down says. There was a bang outside and suddenly we were in the midst of a great hissing, roaring inferno. Everything seemed to be going round and from the door came an overpowering red light and wave after wave of acrid smoke. Bombs, cried my servant, who was in the act of laying the table. 
and here I regret to say that no one dashed to the rescue and flung himself upon the box of ignited hand grenades. No one was out for the VC. And besides, it wasn't bombs at all, but our rockets. A red-hot piece of shell must have swished downstairs and landed up in our box of SOS rockets, standing at the foot of the stairs. The show lasted for about five minutes, during which time the dugout seemed to be full of flying, screeching, red rockets and blazing green stars. We put our hands to our mouths to try and keep out the smoke and resigned ourselves to fate. As it so happened, nothing did hit us, for the box which held the rockets was on the lowest step of the stairs and out of sight at the far corner of the dugout. But only by a few inches. People who were outside say that it was a grand sight. <laughs> Long tongues of red flame and clouds of smoke issuing from the dugout and visible for miles. They seem to think it was rather a joke. And so may we, after the war. Yeah, and, and uh, it's, yes, well, we'll come back to it because let's have another story. I mean, we've, we're trying to cheer ourselves up here. Uh, and, and this is a, a, another great quote. Norman Down is, is an, a fascinating uh, observer, uh, but I like the next one because it's almost modern in the way, in the way that uh, taking a picture of something and it's uh, something hasn't happened in the modern world, has it? Unless someone's taken a picture of it, which uh, is fortunate for both you and I. It wasn't the case when we were young. And this is a case for Norman Down. Uh, this is a, to when he was with the fourth Gordon Highlanders. And this quote, if you don't enjoy this reader, you, you really, listener, Reader, listener, reader, listener. Then there's something wrong with you. How many people have you insulted now? Seven. Right, okay. This is what Norman Down says. One of the communication trenches is called Pear Tree Walk from a fruit tree that gives uh, that grows at the bottom end of it. On its higher branches are a few pears. Yesterday, just before we were relieved, I decided to climb up this tree and discover whether the fruit was ripe. As if it was, it seemed a pity to waste it on the unappreciative uh, pallets of the incoming battalion. Accordingly, I scrambled up and was just reaching for the nearest pair when bullets started to whistle all round me. Then it struck me that though the bottom of the tree was out of sight, the top was in full view and I lost no time in trying to come down. But in my haste, I let my kilt catch in a branch and found myself suspended in mid-air, an 800-yard target to the Hun. I yelled for help, and the signal officer came round the corner. He looked at me for a moment, and then dashed off for help, or so I imagined. The bullets were whistling all around me, and I was making frantic efforts to escape, but nothing I could do was of any use, and it was with a sigh of relief that I saw the signalling officer coming back at the double. Then I noticed, to my dismay, that he was alone. But just as he arrived under the tree, the branch gave way and down I came on top of him. When he had recovered sufficient breath to swear, you fool, he gasped. Couldn't you have managed to stay up there another minute after I'd run all the way to battalion headquarters and back for my camera? <laughs> and I want you to picture the scene. This uh, Gordon Highlander. Wonder what he wore under the kilt, Gary. Mm. <laughs> uh, can you just picture him suspended upside down? Oh, <laughs> Germans shooting at him. Germans must have been pissing themselves laughing because they missed him. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Now, uh, such stories, they're told and retold during the war itself. Yeah, endlessly. And in the post-war years, in their dotage, and now repeated with glee by the likes of you and me. Yeah, well, that's, that's what it is. You, you, you have to laugh or cry, Gary. 
I'll see what you've done there. Well, readers, by now the book will readers. be out. Listeners, why am I obsessed with readers today? Oh, because I'm mentioning our book, Laugh or Cry, which is available from Pen and Sword and should be more than available by the, you know, it, it's either imminent. The launch is on the 11th of November. Are you looking forward to that with all our friends, 80 odd of them? Well, when I say odd, most of them are odd. 80 odd friends. Well, I think there's about nine or... We must have a lot of spares in that. Yeah, we have got spares. Anyway, uh, it's been great chatting to you about this. I just love these Laugh or Cry uh, sessions because amidst the misery and despair, there are these moments of humour. Yeah, that could be the name of our next podcast, Misery and Despair with Pete and Gary. (laughs) Cheers, Gary. Cheers, Pete. Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash PGMH. Or visit www.blahblahblahblahblah. And we'd be jolly grateful. Cheers. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?